Take your Bibles and go to the book of John, chapter 4. You know by now that I have two dogs at our house. Actually, it's one and a third dogs at our house, and I don't have either one of them. Uh, The one in the backyard is his own dog, so to speak. His name is Nanook, and uh, Nanook needs behavior modification every once in a while. And so one of the uh, things, he likes, used to like barking at night a lot. I've told you a little bit about that through the years, but uh, I think that we have a handle on that. And one of the ways we have a handle on that is I, I got one of these uh, cheap plastic airsoft guns. You know what I'm talking about? Um, now, you, you're jumping ahead and you're thinking that I've done terrible things to that dog. And uh, really all it takes for us to get him to stop uh, barking or stop, you know, wanting to get into the house and standing there whining and all that stuff. Now, all I have to do is take that airsoft gun and just wave it at him at the window. Now, there was a time that he needed a little more persuasion than that. And so, um, it's something about the sound of that airsoft gun that when you pull the trigger and it pops and it's kind of a loud pop, uh, when you do that, and he, he just runs and gets into his uh, house and closes the door behind himself for a while. So I want you to take that mental image and I want to enforce it this way. A simple pull of a trigger sets in motion a chain of events that changes his behavior. Uh, So let me use that in a spiritual context today, actually for the entire message today. I want you to hang on to that mental image. And even if it wasn't a plastic airsoft gun with my dog, uh, but was rather your pistol or your rifle as you go out and either shoot targets or shoot game, uh, a simple pull on the trigger sets in motion a chain of events that modifies situations. John chapter 4, John is in the process of pulling some triggers for us. As a matter of fact, what John does in this little passage that we're going to be looking at this morning gives us uh, a little bit of the effect of Jesus pulling some triggers. And so as we read through this today, I, I want you to tie everything that I've said so far into this set of questions. Do you believe in Jesus? Now, I'm going to stop and say that I rather suspect that most of us in here uh, probably would answer, yes, I believe in Jesus. Uh, Some may not. And if you're one who doesn't, then that's fine. We're glad that you're here too. You don't have to be just like us to be in here. Uh, Now, I just don't mind telling you, full disclosure, I'm going to try to help you believe in Jesus if you don't. Uh, But we're glad that you're here. So I don't want to just leave it at the, do you believe in Jesus or not? Because I don't think John would be comfortable with us doing that. The reality is that there's a follow-up question that's needed. After you answer, do I believe in Jesus? I throw this question into your lap. How much do you believe in Jesus? Now that's a question that doesn't get asked in church very often. Uh, And I'll talk a little bit about why, I think, in just a few minutes. But uh, it's one of those questions that is a little bit off-putting for us. What do you mean, how much do I believe in Jesus? Is that even a valid question? 
Well, let's look what John has to say in John chapter 4, beginning in verse, actually I want to begin in verse 54, which is the end of the passage today. He says this, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And I start there because what John is doing, not just here, but in his entire gospel, he is laying out a sequence of events. We would call them miracles. John calls them signs. These are events out of the life of Jesus. Better said, these are miracles that Jesus performed that serve as signs for us to take us deeper in our belief of him. If you will, each of these seven signs that we will look at in succession as we work our way through John's gospel, each one of them is a trigger for you. The very presence of the miracle itself serves to set in motion a chain of events that impacts you and should change you in one way or another. So we start at the end. Let's go back and pick it up from the beginning. And uh, just to put it in context, this is after, for those of you who know the stories of, of Jesus, this is after his encounter with a woman out in a, at a well in an area of the country where uh, typically you wouldn't even find him, that is Jesus. And at the tail end of that, we pick up verse 46, and it says, So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And the water being turned to wine was the first sign that John gave. We looked at that last week. So we pick it up, the latter part of verse 46. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him And asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when, the, uh, when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And so as we come to this, I want to show you a a deepening belief as it unfolds out of this passage. Five different uh, points of reference that I want to give you. I don't want you to freak out. There's a five-point sermon. We'll be here until next football season. Well, football season's over. The Cowboys and Texans both lost. So... um, So I want to work through it relatively quickly, but I don't want to go so quickly that we lose something here. Because I think that what John does as he records what Jesus does is he pulls the trigger a series of times here that sets in motion a chain of events that changes our lives. So here's the first level that I think I see here. I call it the belief level of awareness. That's a a stretch, frankly, to call it a belief level, because awareness, simply stated, is knowing that something's out there. Case in point, I found myself, after the first week of the the year, Teresa and I had to go out to Odessa, you know that, and 
Uh, that was an 11-hour drive out there, 14-hour drives com- coming back, okay? So in other words, uh, by the time we got back, I was having some back issues again. And some of them were beginning to concern me uh, based on some of my previous history. And uh, so Teresa and I started having this conversation about her doctor. Now, I will tell you that I was aware of her doctor. I, I knew who he was. I, I didn't know him, but I knew who he was. I knew where his office was. It's on Dallas. I'd driven by it probably hundreds of times since we've been here. Uh, I knew of him. I was aware of him. I even know what his special uh, specialties are. Uh, and I knew that she had been seeing him and getting some help. I was aware of him. But being aware does not change much about me. And, and so before I go any further, this one is the quickest of the five that we're going to look at, but before I go any further, let's make sure that we get it on the front end of this. This guy apparently was aware of Jesus because John is careful to record that it's when Jesus comes back into the area where he had done this first miracle that this guy goes to him. But that shouldn't surprise us. You get somebody in Lumberton, Texas to turn water into wine, we're all going to be aware of that. And some of us are going to be happy about that. (laughs) Jesus is pretty famous. Even by this point of John's gospel, people are aware of him. It's one thing to be aware. It's another thing to believe. And I point this out because I'm convinced that in our time and in our area, Jesus is pretty popular. I'm not sure that I'm willing to go yet to the point that says Jesus is changing lots of lives, but a lot of people are aware of him. I know this because I see stuff on Facebook. We have, we have a very active Christian subculture in Southeast Texas. We know the language. We, we know the, the memes that we're supposed to use and the ones that are a little bit disrespectful. And, and we know all of those things. We, we go to church and we have this preconceived set of stuff of how everything should happen because we have a good Christian subculture that has ordered that. But just because we're aware of that doesn't mean that we believe in Jesus. And it certainly doesn't speak much to how much we believe in him. So awareness is the first one. Uh, let's move on from there. It just gets better, just so you know. If that made you uncomfortable, you better hang on. Because the next level of belief that we find here is what I call the seeing is believing part. This, this guy had an awareness, but the awareness didn't fix his problem. So he goes to Jesus. Now, that's not a small statement. Because the reality is, Jesus in Cana, which is in Galilee, and this guy's in Capernaum, and just so you know, the fact that he's referred to as an official here probably means an official with the government, which means he may well not have been a Jew. Uh, And so he's got something going on. I'll come back to that trigger in just a second, but I want you to get the picture. He's 14 miles, roughly, from where Jesus is, and that's walking uphill all the way. But scripture says he goes there. I, I think I see in that a, a little bit, maybe it's, it's inherent in what's going on here, that he has seen enough to have a level of belief. The word gets out, the miracle worker, 
The guy who turns water to wine, he's in our area again. And it just so happens that he's in our area again. This guy has the information. He also has the need laying in front of him that one of his children is about to die. No question he had heard of Jesus because he drops everything and he goes to Jesus. That's a good thing. We're going to get back to his journey in just a few moments, but let me come back and make sure we're wearing this well. Um, back to that doctor I was talking about. See, I was aware of him and I was aware even of what he had done to help my wife out. But there came a point that I had to make a decision. Is he the one I'm going to go see? Now, you just need to know, okay? Uh, if, by the way, if you're a physician here today, I appreciate what you do more than you can know. I certainly appreciate the level of education it took for you to get to that level. But, so don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I hate doctors. Now, I don't hate doctors. I hate going to the doctor. Hate it. Hate it. I'd rat, well, you know, I just hate it, okay? But you see, I had a trigger event that caused me this trigger as it was pulled, back issues, uh, started this chain of events for me that ended up in a behavior change because I got to the point that I thought, I better go see a doctor. All right, And so now the awareness that I have coming from my wife made it easier for me to go to see this doctor that I did not know. I was aware of him. I was aware of his, uh, his practice, but I didn't know him. So I exercised a level of belief in him by going to him. You see the difference between awareness and belief? Hello, the rest of you get it? See it? Otherwise, we're going to be a long time because I want you to get it, okay? <laughs> the difference between awareness and basic belief is my basic belief moves me to act, okay? Now, in this particular case, for me uh, and for you, let's put it down onto the religious level, okay? This is, you need to listen with both ears now um, and know that I'm saying this in love, but this is going to be challenging. Many Christians in our day and much of our Christian subculture in our day operates from a very elementary level of belief and embraces it as if it's the norm. You ever heard this? Hey, pray for me because I have, and then you can fill in the blank, whatever I have. You ever heard that? Okay, now, that was an easy one. I'm just trying to make sure that y'all are with me here. Have you ever heard anybody say, hey, pray for me? Let me do it this way. Many of us just came, <laughs> Many of us just came out of a Sunday school class, Bible study class, small group class, whatever we want to call it. Here, let me, I don't know your class. Matter of fact, I'll take it off of our church and let's put it on some other series of churches somewhere else. I rather suspect, matter of fact, I'm pretty confident uh, based on my own history that many, maybe most Sunday school classes in Baptist churches in Southeast Texas today spent more time taking prayer requests than they spent studying scripture. You see why I wanted you to know that I'm saying this in love? This gets right down on the bottom shelf where we live. 
And I don't want you to be offended by the fact that I'm saying if that's the level we are operating in our belief, that is an elementary level of belief. That's a good level. It's a great place to start. It's better than just being aware of Jesus. This now, like this guy, moves us to get out of what's going on. Our need triggers this. And so then we step into him or his body, in our case, we're talking about church, and we say, hey, I believe enough to want him to get involved in my situation. Now, that being what it is, let me just make another application of this and thoroughly shoot myself with the traditionalists. It is this level of belief that most of the time we operate in when we try to share our faith with other people. We seek to set up in them an awareness of their need for Jesus. We say it this way. I'll overplay it a little bit. You need Jesus. If you don't get Jesus in your life, you're going to burn in hell. And we don't say it that way. I hope you don't say it that way. If you do say it that way, shame on you. But that's the attitude that we often go into our evangelism. We step into it with other people and we know that we have truth. We know that they need Jesus Christ. The need is the trigger here. We know that they need Jesus in their lives. Uh, and th- it's true. If, if a person dies without a relationship, a saving knowledge and acceptance of Jesus Christ as their Lord, they will not make it into eternal heaven. That's truth. But so often we approach it where we try to set up the need. You need Jesus. And then we fill in the blanks for them, which is okay. I mean, it's truth. And in doing that, we often leave them as if they've arrived when they say, I trust Jesus as my Savior. If I understand John's gospel over in chapter 3, the birth is the beginning, not the normal part of everyday growth and development. It's just the beginning. It's the entry in. So, let me just pull it off of those things because it's really quiet in here now. Let me just put it on our normal everyday life. Because normal everyday life is full of triggers that move us to understand our need to get Jesus in on what's going on in our lives. And you know what? To ask for prayer is exactly the right thing you should do. So that in itself is not the problem. The problem is staying there as if that's the sum total of the Christian experience. That's why I call it an elementary level, the very basics. So let me step back before we go to number three. Then let's make sure that we're all on the same page here. These triggers in our lives move us from point to point in our faith development When a trigger happens, it sets in motion a chain of events that puts our belief in Jesus on the line. And Jesus is never going to be content to leave us at an elementary level. That's not his design at all. So as we take another step into this deeper belief that we're talking about here, let me go back to your 
days in science class. Now, we have science teachers in here, and uh, uh, I'm not a big science guy. Um, I wasn't a big school guy when they were teaching us some of the stuff that we're, I'm about to say, but you remember when we were talking about the earth and the planet? Yes? And so there's different levels. If you go from the outside of the planet to the interior of the planet, we have these different zones, if you will. All right. Now, I took earth science in college because I was sure I could not pass biology. Uh, and earth, plan, earth science, we, we learned about tornadoes, uh, hurricanes. You know, those are easy things. So we get those on TV weather. So I, I thought I could pass that. And, uh, and then they got to this stuff about knowing the planet. And so I think I remember this. If I'm wrong, correct me. But on the outer part of our planet, and that called the crust, Okay, so the crust, um, and then you go to the next level in. I'm thinking big terms, right? So if you really know all the intricacies, just don't, don't say it, okay? Um, the outside the, I mean, inside the crust is the mantle. Is that right? All right, and then in the middle is, what's that called? The core, all right? So what we find in this passage as it relates to going deeper with Christ, if you will, it's a journey from the crust to the core. And so now we're at the third level here. And so we see this. Um, here, here's what I call this is the, the last one was the seeing is believing. The guy was aware of Jesus uh, and he had seen or at least heard the reports as they rippled across that part of the world. Uh, the, the miracle worker is here. And so he stepped into that. His belief grew out of what he had seen or experienced uh, from a distance. So now we move to the part where I, ca- I call this the moving beyond the safe house. The, the picture I have in that is, is of some of these TV shows or, or movies maybe, and I'm assuming that they're supposedly grounded in real life. I don't really know that. But, but the storyline goes that, you know, there's this, this big legal case that's, that's going to be tried, and there's this one individual who is the star witness for the prosecution. And so uh, this star witness makes or breaks the case, and so the, the opposition knows that, and so threats are made against this guy. And so the way the story tends to go is the prosecution takes this guy and puts him in a safe house, and, and nobody knows where he is. And at just the right moment in the trial, they trot him out of the safe house and throw him up there, on the, and he does his thing, and the, everything's great after that. He wins the day for the prosecution. Many of us have that kind of Jesus belief. We put him away in a safe house. And then when we have that need, that's a trigger event, we pull him out so he can do his thing. uh, And everything's better after that. Our problem is that we want to stick him back in the safe house when we don't need him anymore. Here's where I get this out of this passage. This is a the whole passage actually turns on this little verse, verse 48. And so Jesus said to him, this is the the guy, right? He comes in, my son's dying. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And here's where we know that Jesus flunked his Baptist evangelism class in seminary. Because the Baptist evangelism class in seminary, I know because I had to sit through those, that class would tell us when you get somebody at the point that this guy is, 
I need help, Jesus. Save the day. That's when we're trained to go for the close. Here's a person ready to accept Christ as their Savior. He's verbalized that, so close the deal. Instead, Jesus, <laughs> he hammers the guy, or at least it looks like it. Let me just, let's just play this out, okay? Let's be, I'm not trying to be ir, uh, irresponsible or disrespective of, of Scripture, but let's play this out. Put yourself into the shoes of this guy who has, if there's ever a need for a parent, he's got that need. And here's Jesus. The miracle worker is here. And so he's made the trip, and his belief is enough for him to go, hey, I need you in on this, Jesus. Pray for me. I need you in on this. And where we would expect Jesus immediately to turn to him and say, let's go do this. I want to reward your belief. And Jesus turns to him and calls him out. Well, at least it looks like he calls him out. Unless you see... Signs and wonders you will not believe. Does that sound a little bit attacking to you? Would you be offended if you were the guy with that need standing in a crowd of people and Jesus said that to you? That just seems a little abrupt to me. What Jesus is doing here, I want to add a little caveat to it before it's all said and done here, but what he's doing here is he is revealing the inadequacy of a belief level stuck at seeing is believing. Because seeing is believing by definition says, if I don't have tangible evidence that you are who you claim to be, I'm not going to believe. Seeing is believing. So Jesus calls them out. Okay, so I just let the cat out of the bag. He didn't call him out. He calls them out. The you here is a plural you. So here's the scenario as I think it probably went down. Jesus is dealing with this guy who exercises belief by showing up saying, hey, I need you in on this. And he asks for help. And it's as if Jesus looking at him now looks up at the crowd gathered around and makes the statement of verse 48. The you plural part of this says, unless you guys see, you won't believe. See, what he does with that is he forces on the rest of us a crisis of belief. Can you believe if Jesus is not stuck in the safe house? Is it possible that you might be able to believe him without seeing signs and wonders? Here's how I get this. It comes to me all the time. Where was God when my brother was dying? How could God not save my grandmother or my husband or my wife or my child? How could God let my business fail? You see, sometimes in life, We don't get to see 
the signs and the wonders that we get to see at other times. Where's God then? And do you believe in Jesus enough then for him to still be God for you? So Jesus looks at the crowd and he calls them out. And with that, he pushes to the side, safe house Jesus, calling him when you need him, but not believing him enough for him to inform every decision of every part of every day. So we put him back on the shelf. The fourth one, this is the believing without seeing. And I've been talking a little bit about that, so this one goes a little bit quicker for us. But let's look at where we find this in this passage, verses 48 through 50. So Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official, on the other hand, says, you've got to admire this guy. Because he's not going to take no for an answer. You know what? I don't think I'd take no for an answer if it was my kid, unless he insulted me like it looked like happened in verse 48. But this guy, not me. He's better than me. His belief is better than mine at that point. Apparently because the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You hear the urgency in that? Don't miss this. God will see to it that there are times in your life that you are so out of control, that trigger is so strong that you jump at the chance for God to get involved. The official said, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. You catch that? You see, that's the believing is seeing introduction. Now, I have to be really careful here because there's some heresy in our day. Uh, it's probably not limited to our day, but it certainly is in our day that essentially says if you just believe it hard enough, then God's obligated to give you what you're believing for. That's just garbage, okay? It's not biblical. Um, so... Let's take the next step with this as it says in verse 51. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So here's a guy whose belief now, the trigger events of the day. The first one was his son's dying. The second one was Jesus doesn't seem to be listening to his request. Then Jesus heals him. And so he goes on his way. Put yourself in his position again. If you were dealing with a dying child, for instance, or a dying loved one, and they were not with you, they were in another town, and you went to a doctor in your town, and you said, hey, I need help for my dying relative, and that doctor said, he's healed, go on your way. Would that be enough for you? Would you believe in that doctor enough? Or would you need a little more input? This guy deserves some pretty good props, I think, for what we see. But one of the things that gets us in trouble is that we get situational focus. We get situational focus that essentially says all we see is the trigger. All we see is the problem. All we see is the need. And our belief in Jesus, if it's stuck at the, hey, y'all need to pray for me, uh, all we see is the need. 
And if we get stuck and Jesus is in a safe house somewhere and I've pulled him out, but he didn't seem to do the thing. And, uh, and so we're just waiting for some kind of result. This guy would say to us, take Jesus at his word and move on. But you see, taking Jesus at his word is a huge statement. It implies that we're going to be listening for his word. You see the difference between the pray for me and the take Jesus at his word? The difference is in the pray for me, when I take that need to him, it's me doing all of the talking. And this one now, it's me doing all the listening to what Jesus has to say about my situation. And this guy listens. And Jesus said, go your way. He's healed. And he heard it. And he acted on it. A trigger pull for him. Do you believe that this guy's life was ever the same after this? Because he heard what Jesus had to say. The believing without seeing. Which gets me to the last one. This is the contagious belief. This is the one that trumps all of... Sorry, I didn't mean it that way. (laughs) This is the one that trumps all of our manufactured evangelism attempts. This is biblical evangelism at its finest, I believe. The contagious belief. Not the subculture, know the right words, use the right means approach but the contagious belief approach. And I just started reading into some of this or some of reading some of this, verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all of his household. Let me, time out, full stop. I thought he already believed. Have we not seen in this guy a series of actions based on his belief in Jesus? So why does it say, John's careful. I mean, this is not just he believed. This is an emphatic way of saying it. And he himself believed. What happened? What does that mean even? I think what we find here is that point of belief that is now at the core. If we're looking back at that earth model, this is the core set of beliefs that says, well, I'll put it in the words of Job, who in the latter part of the book of Job, Job said this, in his exchange with God, Job said, you know, before all of this, my ears had heard of you, but now I see you. How is your belief with God. Do you believe in Jesus? And if so, how much do you believe in him? John adds, not only did he himself believe, so did his household. It's a beautiful thing, I think. The process that God puts together as I deepen in my faith and those triggers get pulled that force me to go deeper than I wanted to go before that. And so the series, this chain of events happens and it builds my belief in Jesus, my faith in Jesus until ultimately I grow to a point that I don't have to see evidence of him at work. I can just trust in that. And the point here is 
that as this guy did that, as we do that, people around us get sucked into the vortex of belief. And so all of these people, it says, and they believed. At what level of belief do you think they were at? And my suspicion is they were aware. But you see, that started the process for them to be able to go deeper. That's the beauty of God's approach with us. As we Christian people live out our belief, our faith on a day-to-day basis, not the subculture garbage, the words, the bumper stickers, you know, all that stuff, but as we live out our belief, our deep-seated, relationship-oriented belief in Jesus Christ, people recognize that. And it pulls them into awareness. And the Holy Spirit begins to work on them to draw them deeper. It's an incredible sign that we have here. Let me ask our musicians, music, our song players to come on up at this point. I want to leave you with this. One of my friends, who's a pastor in Waco, uh, told a story when he was a pastor in Mississippi. He and his wife were up at the church one day, and they were working in the child, uh, the, the, the younger children part of the building. It was an off day. People weren't around, just he and his family. And he had two little kids, and one, his daughter was there. And as he and his wife were cleaning up, doing some stuff, stopped for lunch. And the daughter walked in and was holding something. And Matt said, what's that in your hand? And uh, he looked, and it was a figurine of Jesus. Uh, that's a mouthful, because we don't know what Jesus looked like, but somebody figured it out. And so they made a little child figurine of that. And so she was carrying it around. And so Matt said, what is that? And she looked at it, she held it out to him, and she said, Daddy, somebody left their Jesus at church. You know what I think? I think a lot of people leave their Jesus at church. Because the level of belief that they have is that he's cool to know. He's got a great retirement plan when this life is over. But he doesn't bother me in my everyday life because I have him locked in a safe room. This guy would say to us, and John would say to us, you're missing a lot about Jesus. So how is it with you? Heads bowed, eyes closed. We go into invitation time. This is the time that we set aside for us to make sure that we're doing appropriate business with Jesus on a personal level. You know as well as I do, you walk, as soon as we finish this, you know, the the moment is going to be gone. We'll walk out the doors and we'll go back into a life that is marked with the everyday stuff that we go through. It may well be that the Holy Spirit is whispering over your shoulder into your ear, hey, there's truth in this for you today. And so if that's you, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and your level of belief is limited to awareness, and you're aware of that all of a sudden, that he needs to be more to you, now's a good time. We can have the conversation. We'll start the conversation. We'll uh, introduce you to who Jesus is and what he says about his plan for your life. Now's a great time for us to do that. And so if that's you, then I'll invite you when we go to the invitation, just stand up. We're all going to be standing. Just slip up front, and we'll talk and go from there. Maybe it's a different thing. Maybe you've heard something here and you know that there's a piece of your life that 
you've locked God away. Jesus is in that safe house and uh, you're living as if he doesn't matter most of the time. Now's a good time to get that straight. Maybe it's about joining the church. Maybe it's another decision that God's dealing with you about. Whatever it is, this is the time for that. And if you, if you need me to be part of that, you want to pray with me, talk about it, make a decision for him public, uh, now's the time to do it. And so, Father, as we go into this time of invitation, we ask you to change lives for your glory. Help us believe in Jesus' name. Amen.